welcome. I'm so grateful that you're joining us here, both those in the sanctuary and those of you who are joining us at home online. Uh, some of you will remember uh, this. It was April 20th, 2008. We had had a powerful, powerful service. God showed up in an amazing way. And when we got done with church, Karen and I took Jennifer out to lunch. And then after lunch, she and a friend of hers went back to Lima, where they were attending college together. And Karen and I lay down for our traditional afternoon nap. Um, we received a phone call that we didn't take right away, but then Karen, being Karen, felt like she was compelled to get up and to find out if somebody had left a message, and it was actually the police letting us know that Jennifer had been Jennifer had been in a yeah, car accident. Um, she was being mercy flighted to Strong Memorial Hospital, and it was extremely serious. We got up and got in our car and we sped to Rochester Strong Memorial Hospital not caring one bit about all of the laws we were breaking on the way. When we got there, uh, we were unable to see her immediately because the doctors and the staff there were working uh, frantically trying to save her life and her limbs. And in those moments and hours, we prayed like we had never prayed before. I'm wondering, have any of you ever been in a situation like that, that desperate, that needy, uh, where your only recourse was to cry out to God? Maybe it wasn't a horrendous auto accident. Maybe for you it was a health crisis. Maybe for you it was a diagnosis of cancer. We had a couple of dear friends of ours just contact us yesterday to let us know that their father has cancer and it's not looking good. Maybe for you it was a COVID diagnosis. Maybe for you it was honestly that you had no money and you had no way of making money and you didn't know how you were going to survive. Maybe for you it was emotionally you were at the end of your rope and you just didn't know how you could possibly go on another day. Maybe for you it was a relational crisis. There had been an affair, a divorce, and you didn't know how you could live another day alone. For most of us who are followers of Jesus, when we're faced with situations like that, we only know one thing to do. We cry out to God. We say, God, you are good. You are great. You are mighty. And you know this situation. I need you. And the truth is, we want a solution to our struggles. We want a solution to our crisis. But what we need is Jesus. Have you ever prayed for something, though, in those situations, and it didn't end up with the result you had hoped for? It didn't end up the way you had wanted, the way you had prayed, and your response to God is, why God? 
And <clears throat> have you ever had someone in those situations, as I have had, who have said to you, well, it's your fault. If you had enough faith, it wouldn't have worked out that way. Or it would have worked out a better way. And they blame you for the lack of results. Um, the question then we have to ask, which is my question for you today, is very simply, how much faith is enough faith? How much is enough? And I want you to think about that, honestly. How much faith is enough for the situation that you're facing? Some people say you need great faith. And then, if you have great faith, nothing will be impossible for you. Other people say, no, you just need a little faith. Mustard seed faith. Well, how can you argue with that since they seem to be quoting the Bible a little bit? Others say, God gave everyone a specific measure of faith and that's all you get in life, so just deal with it. The implication is very simply, some people are born with A-level faith and some of us are born with maybe D-level faith. And it can never change. That's just your fate in life. So the question is, how much faith is enough faith? I believe that the Bible is clear. That every one of us need faith. Faith is important. It's necessary. Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And yes, Paul did tell us in Romans chapter 12, God has given to everyone a measure of faith. But Paul doesn't end there. Paul goes on to say we should use our faith. Paul seems to indicate that, and I know some of you, you might, you might look at this differently, but this is how I see it. Paul seems to indicate that we don't need more faith. We need to just use the faith we have. And as we use the faith we have, just like as we use the muscles that we have, those muscles are stretched and they actually become stronger. I want to suggest to you that in the passage of Scripture that you just heard on the screen, faith isn't always shown through heroic efforts, through big deeds that we do to show that I'm going to believe God. Um, I am a uh, kind of a all-or-nothing kind of person. My wife will tell you that my philosophy of is one is good, then a hundred is better, no matter what it is. So if one cookie is good, then a hundred cookies are even better. That, that's just my philosophy in life, and I do that in everything that I do. <clears throat> I, I tend to be the kind of person, and I say this only because I have done it, who stands on the roof of the building and say, God, I believe that you can actually, like Jesus walked on water, you can help me to float and then jump off the building. And I have the scars to prove it. But I want to suggest to you that faith isn't always expressed with heroic deeds and mighty acts. Sometimes faith is simply believing in and leaning into the goodness of God. Let me say it again. Faith is simply believing in and leaning into the goodness of God. And I want to ask you honestly, do you believe in the goodness of God? Do you believe that God is good? Not, not just, please don't say God is good, God's good all the time. I, I almost hate that. 
Because sometimes we say it as a ritual, as something rote, and we don't even think about what we're saying. Do you honestly believe that our God is eternally good? He is everlastingly, immensely good. And I believe faith is laying hold of that truth. When all the other stuff in your life has been burned away by the stuff of life, when you end with simply, I believe God is good. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why it's the way it is. But I believe God is good. I believe that's the deepest kind of faith that a person can have. The Scripture that we read or had read to us is in Mark chapter 7. If you want to turn there, I'm going to actually read it again. Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. Mark 7, 24. And for those of you that like to study, you can actually put your finger in Matthew chapter 15 as well, which is a parallel passage in the Gospels. I'm actually going to kind of go back and forth between them. But I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. For those of you that don't happen to have your Bibles with you or don't have a phone Bible, it's going to be up on the screen for you. It says this, From there Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman... Go back and just look at that a minute. He went into the house. He didn't want anybody to know it, but he couldn't be hidden. Isn't that just like God? No matter what you want, He's always going to show up. He's always present. A woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about Him, and she came and fell at His feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking Him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. I'm not going to do as is often my norm. Uh, I'm not going to give you three or four points that all rhyme or even start with the same letter or even make an acronym. What I want to do this morning is I want to actually make our way through the text and just see what the text says to us very simply. So I'm asking that for everything that I say, you look at how does this apply to your life? How does this connect to you? And again, as I said, I'm going to be looking at Mark 7 and Matthew 15, the parallel passage, because there are some things that Matthew says that actually fills out what Mark doesn't say. One of the things I hope that you've learned in reading through Mark is that unlike some of the other Gospel writers, Mark's is the shortest because Mark tends to be the most direct. Mark doesn't waste words. He just gets right to the point. And he tells you the gist of it, whereas the other Gospel writers will actually fill it out. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. The first thing it says is that Jesus went into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you went back a couple of chapters in Mark's Gospel, you would see that Jesus had been ministering in Jewish territory and had performed many miracles. That included, by the way, raising the dead, walking on the water, and feeding the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. 
But towards the end of the chapter, Jesus got involved in a discussion with the religious leaders. And it was wearying for him. It was challenging. And the Scripture tells us that he left Jewish territory and went over into this territory called Tyre and Sidon to get away from it all. Just to get out of this whole religious argument where people were trying to prove their point and forgot about the goodness of God. Now, the region of Tyre and Sidon would have been broadly known as Canaanite territory. You, you know Canaanites, right? How many of you guys remember Canaanites from the Bible? How many of you remember all the ites from the Old Testament? You know, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Magites and the Elamites and all of those ites. All of those ites that caused such problem for God's people. And Jesus went into that territory to get away from the religious people. Because sometimes religious people can be downright snarky. They can be hard to get along with because they're so self-righteous. And i got to tell you, one of the things the world needs desperately are genuine Christians who actually believe in the goodness of God greater than all of their snarky religious self-righteousness. It was considered a, a pagan region. It's where Jezebel, how many of you remember Queen Jezebel? You know, that wicked queen. The most wicked of them all. She came from Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus leaves Jewish territory, good, safe territory, and He goes into Tyre and Sidon. And He went there to get away from it all. He didn't want anyone to know that He was in the house. And I think, by the way, that ought to encourage us a little bit. That even Jesus sometimes had to get away from it all. Had to get away from all the stuff of life but it wasn't just he was trying to get away from it to escape. He needed to get away from it all in order to have time with his father. So if all you do is you take a vacation to get away from it all, it should be no wonder to you that you come back more tired than when you went. Because you didn't spend any of that time reconnecting and refreshing with the father. The text tells us that a woman had a daughter with an unclean spirit, and she came to see Jesus. Matthew explains it a little bit more. Matthew tells us that the daughter was severely demon-possessed. Now, it's important for you to know that all the Jews of that day would have already assumed that every Syrophoenician, every Canaanite, every person from Tyre and Sidon was demon-possessed. That would have been their philosophy, their approach. You're all demon-possessed. Have you ever had somebody just assume that because of where you come from or who you are, that's just the way it is? Um, I was talking yesterday with the guys over at the Redemption Center as I was working over there, and honestly, don't even know how it came up, but I shared my testimony. I was raised in a family where alcohol, drugs were the norm. Divorce was apparently the norm. That's just the way things went in life. And... In the midst of it all, it would be very easy for people to say, well, that's just the way things happen in your family. It's like when people say, yeah, well, uh, cancer runs in our family. That's the kind of thing that was happening here. People would just assume that if you were from this region, you were demon-possessed. It was the standard for the Canaanite culture. But this woman came and she said, I honestly don't care what ran in my family for generations. I don't care what's part of our culture. I want something better for my daughter. Enough is enough. 
And then in verse 25, it says, she had heard about Jesus. And remember, this is pagan territory. This isn't a place that Jesus frequented. One commentator that I read, one distance thing, uh, I actually wasn't a commentator, I looked it up on Google, I'm sorry, Google Map. The distance between where Jesus was in Capernaum and where he went in Tyre and Sidon was 300 miles. That's a long way away, and I doubt very much they're hearing much about Jesus way over there. But somehow, this woman heard something about Jesus. And I'm wondering, have you heard anything about Jesus lately? In fact, why don't you just take a moment and close your eyes if you would, for just a moment. Just close your eyes. Think about the situations that you're dealing with in your life, whatever it might be. Maybe for you it is health challenges. Maybe it's fear. Maybe this COVID thing has driven you nuts and you're afraid. Maybe it's financial. Whatever it is, I want you to think about that. And then in the midst of it, I want you to think about the name of Jesus. Just say it in your mind. Or whisper it to yourself. Jesus. Jesus over COVID. Jesus over politics. Jesus over finances. Just say it to yourself again. Jesus. Isn't there something sweet about that name? Doesn't it bring a sense of hope and peace to your heart? Jesus. Just Jesus. I don't need all the answers. I just need Jesus. This woman had heard something about Jesus. Just like you have. And she grabbed hold of it for all she was worth. But you've got to remember, she was facing some obstacles. Some significant obstacles. First of all, she was a woman. She was a woman. That might seem like not a big deal to us in our modern day and age. But in Jewish times in which Jesus was living, a woman was rated on the economic scale lower than a cow. Farm animals were worth more in their society than a woman was. They also had a rule that if you were a woman, you had to keep yourself covered and the only one you could speak to were men in your own family, like your husband or your father or your brothers. (coughs) You weren't allowed to speak to other men. So here is this person who is a woman who's pretty low on the scale. She's not supposed to be out and about talking to men, men who weren't in her family, and she's a Syrophoenician woman. She was a foreigner. She was a pagan. An unbeliever. Can you imagine what good Jewish people would have thought about this pagan, demonized woman speaking to an upright Jewish rabbi? But that's the kind of thing that was happening. And we don't see it here in Mark, but Matthew says that when the woman asked for Jesus' help, Matthew says this, He answered her not a word. And then the next verse says that Jesus' followers, you know those disciples, you know those good Christians like you and I? Those disciples, those Christians said to Jesus, send her away. So here's this woman, woman, who's considered demonized, pagan, coming to talk to a man who's not in her family, and he doesn't even have the courtesy to answer her. 
and his friends try to kick her out of the house. That would be enough for most of us to skulk away. Just to get out of there because it's too humiliating to even think about going on. But this woman had a strategy. Tells us in verse 26. The Scripture says she kept asking. She kept asking. I love that. She knew she had no legal grounds for expecting any help because of all the obstacles I've just denumerated. Her obstacles were real. But she didn't let that stop her. See, a lot of us, a lot of people today, want to make the basis of our demand predicated upon certain rights. I have rights as an American citizen. I have rights as a Christian. But this woman didn't use her rights at all. She laid hold of something far higher than rights. She laid hold of the mercy of God. That's what was the basis of her appeal. She heard something about Jesus, about His goodness, about His kindness, about His mercy. And she says, I have no legal grounds. I know I have all these obstacles. But I'm coming anyways because I've heard something about you. And I'm wondering, have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten to a point where you just said, I know I don't deserve any mercy, but I'm asking for it anyways. I'm asking for your kindness, Jesus. She made her appeal based upon Jesus' compassion, upon His mercy, upon His kindness. She cared more about her daughter than she did about her dignity. What this says to me is she was desperate. Have you ever been that desperate uh, that you didn't care what anyone thought about you? I heard someone say once that desperation is the currency of heaven. I wonder if we would see more miracles if we were that desperate or if we were sensitive to people's desperation. I'm sitting here today, and I say to my own chagrin, it's true, I confess, it was my lack. I'm out working yesterday, and one of our workers was talking about how his knee was hurting so bad. And every time he would go to bend down even a little bit, he couldn't get up without having to get help. So his knee was hurting. Do you know the honest truth? And I I say this sadly. I never even thought to pray for him right then. Never thought about it. I wonder if I had been more sensitive, might God have done something out there in that building that day? Now, am I going to carry guilt and shame over it? No. I know God's merciful and He's kind. But I want to be more sensitive to people's desperation, to what they're going through. And I wonder if we would see more miracles if we lived life that way, if I had lived life that way. There's a boldness here that I find amazing because she comes into a house uninvited. Now, I don't know about you. Um, Our generation is a little bit different. Back in a generation, just even a generation before us, it wouldn't have been uncommon at all to just show up at people's house. You would just show up, you'd knock on the door and say, hey, I'm just here, and I'm bringing some uh, iced tea and some uh, crackers. I thought we'd sit outside. Well, what do you eat with iced tea? I don't know. But anyways, I thought we'd just sit outside around your fire and have a good... We don't do that anymore. We wait till we're invited. And we don't go to people's houses if we're not invited. You know, back in the old days, pastors were supposed to go to houses and visit people. Now, if you show up at the house and you knock on the door, they say, oh, what's wrong? What's up? Because no one wants to come. No one wants you to come. Well, this woman had the same situation. Jesus went into the house to get away. 
He didn't want anybody to know it. But she came into the house. Anyways, that's boldness. I have heard that there are only really four categories of people in the world. There are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. Parents, I, I've gone, not that I ever was one of them, mind you. Okay, I repent, Father. Um, I've gone to games, and I've watched law-abiding, good, balanced, healthy parents go nuts as their kids are playing sports. Some of you did it last night watching the Bills, and they're not even your family. Did the Bills win last night, by the way? Thank you. This woman didn't care what people thought about her. She only cared that her child be saved. You do whatever it takes. Mark tells us she fell at his feet, and here I see humble tenacity. She fell at his feet, and she asked him, But the Greek makes it very clear. She asked him and she kept on asking him. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. She did it knowing she had no legal grounds, but she asked anyways. Here's this woman surrounded by Canaanite gods and idols every single day, and she leaves it behind because she heard something about Jesus. And then we come to the portion of text which is probably hardest to understand and is most often used to impugn the character of Jesus. It's verse 27. She had asked him for her daughter. Jesus said to her in verse 27, Let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Matthew explains it, by the way. Matthew explains that when he talks about children, he's talking about the Jewish people. When he's talking about bread, he's talking about healing and the goodness of God. And when he's talking about dogs, he's talking about everybody non-Jewish. Everybody else. All the Gentiles. That's you and me, by the way. Unless you're here today a Jewish, and I didn't know it. Everybody who is non-Jewish was considered a dog. And when the term dog is used during that generation, we weren't talking about cute little puppies, you know, like you guys have, you know, labradoodles. We're not talking about any of that kind of stuff. We're talking about scavenger dogs. You know, dogs that just basically subsisted by eating all the scraps that they could find, including often human remains. And so it was not uncommon at all for Jews of that day to call Gentiles dirty dogs. Dogs. Calling somebody a dog in that day, even as in this day, was an insult. So, Was Jesus, even as some of the commentators I read, saying to this woman an insult? One commentator said this, he insulted her to see if she was serious in her faith. And i got to tell you, I have a real problem with that. I don't see Jesus insulting people who are coming to him in great need. I think there's more involved. And I want to suggest just a few things for you to consider in this text. Number one, the first thing is that the term that Jesus used for dogs there is used in the diminutive form, which suggests something different than the term he would have used for a scavenger-type dog. So when Matthew and Mark both use the term in English, little dogs, that's a good way of saying puppies. So that Jesus actually, I believe, was saying something like this. And these are just my words. You you can come up with better ones. I believe he was saying something like this. 
You know, Mom, how families eat. First, the children eat at the table, and afterwards, the pets are given the scraps that remain. It's not right to violate that order. The children must eat first, then the pets. I believe that if you looked at the larger context of all the Gospels and all of the New Testament, you would see that in that larger context, Jesus was never, never derisive or contemptuous of people who came to him with genuine need. So I don't believe he was in any way trying to insult her to draw out her faith. And then we know that after Jesus was crucified and then resurrected, from that point on, the Scripture makes it clear that the Gospel was to go to the entire world. In fact, way back in John's Gospel, chapter 3, there's this verse that we know, I think some of you know it, John 3.16, what does that say again? For God so loved the world. Not just the Jews, but the world. So there's nothing about this that makes Jesus parochial, that it's only for the Jews. But he was saying that the historical order was that God would send a Messiah who would save the Jews first, and then from there it would spread out to the entire world. But you can't leave out verse 27. Look at verse 27 again. Let the children be filled first. What does that mean, by the way? If there's a first, what is usually following? Second. In other words, there's always more to come. And I love the fact that Jesus adds that word first. Because by adding the word first, he's letting her know there's more to come. Just because there's a first doesn't mean there's not a second or a later. Another thing I think we have to keep in mind is that just like with texting and messages, have you ever, by the way, texted something to somebody or messaged something to somebody? And in doing it, what you got back made you think that they were saying something completely different than they really were because you read tone into it. You read body language into it. You, you read this message that they sent you and you're pretty sure you know what they meant. And yet when you have that conversation, you find out you were wrong. That's not what they meant or how they said it at all. Well, I wonder sometimes if that's what we're doing in this text. I wonder if we could have seen Jesus in that moment looking at this woman who has asked her for her daughter, and he, with a twinkle in his eye, simply says, Mom, you know the normal order. Kids first, then the pets. Then those who follow. The kids, in this case, are the Jewish nation. That's who I came for first. Mom, what do you think is the solution? And I think he did it with a sense of hope that she would draw something out. And she did that. She said very simply, yes, the children should eat first. I'm not trying to go out of order. That should happen. But I'm asking you, what about the later? What about the next? What about the second? Can't that come even now that the children have already been receiving? She's basically saying, I know I'm not Israel, but we're still at the table waiting for that which you have for us. She didn't say, give me what I deserve. She's basically saying, give me what I don't deserve. I know I don't deserve it, but I want it anyways. I want what I have heard about you. Matthew, Jesus says this, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. There's only two times in all of the Scripture that Jesus commended somebody's faith. Two times. First was the Roman centurion back in Matthew chapter 8. A Roman centurion. And then this Canaanite woman. Two foreigners he commends for their faith. Now, 
part of the reason why I chose this text to speak to you today, because I could have chosen a whole group of texts out of Mark's Gospel, but part of the reason I picked this one is this simple fact. It seems as if Jesus went over to Tyre and Sidon for no other reason than to heal that one young girl. That ought not be surprising to you. It seems like somebody here today uh, actually did a devotional about the fact that Jesus went across to the Gadarenes for one. Here, he goes across to Tyre and Sidon for one. And I want to suggest to you that he is never too far from the one. And maybe that one is you today. Maybe you're sitting here today and say, all of this is fine, Pastor. I am in desperate need, and I want you to know Jesus would cross every ocean. He would cross the world. He would cross eternity for you, for the one. I wonder if we would do better if God would help us to have His eyes to see the world the way He sees the world. We look at some people as being beneath dignity. That's a term that we used. We don't care so much about them because of what type people they are. But Jesus never saw people that way. He always saw people as his father's children who needed the grace, the mercy, the compassion, the bread that he brought to them. Jacob, in my Bible reading, uh, Jacob wrestled with an angel. And the angel says, you need to let me go. It's almost daylight. And Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me first. And I wonder, is that your heart today? Regardless of what situation you're facing with, is there something in you that says, I've come to Jesus because I've heard something about Jesus and I'm not going to let him go until I get it. What is it that you're hoping for today? What is it that you desperately need today? What is it that you lay in your bed at night and you just say, God, that's what I desperately need. Maybe in your devotions you had to fill out recently those things that you have hopes for, those things you long for, those things you need an answer for. What are they? And is anything, as we sang today, too hard for God? I honor the gifting and the knowledge that God has given to the medical world. I truly am. I am amazed at how well they have done with the vaccine. I'm amazed at all the different things that they can do. Grateful for it. But none of it, none of it is as great as the power and the goodness of our God. Is He your first recourse or is that only after you can't get any other help from the doctor? Are you like the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years who the Scripture says she spent all that she had on doctors and could get no help? Do you wait until that happens and then you cry out to God? Or do you Here's something about Jesus these days. And you want His help. This woman had basically two simple things that she did. First, she asked. She asked. Jesus said, by the way, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. James tells us we don't have because we don't ask. My question is, are you actually asking Jesus today? And then secondly, she expected she had an expectation based upon what she had heard about Jesus. What have you heard about Jesus? About His kindness, His goodness. What are your expectations based upon that? If you've been reading through Mark, one of the things that has been clear to me is that everywhere we read, Jesus had a demonstration and then He had a declaration. Demonstration. He would come and He would touch somebody and they would be healed. And then He would declare to them the kingdom of God is at hand. What you just saw is the kingdom. And I want you to know that's still true today. Jesus still likes to show off. 
I don't mean that in a bad way or in a flaunting, proud, arrogant way. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, he likes to show off to demonstrate the goodness of God to all. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. I recognize that because of some restrictions placed uh, upon us, and I believe prudently so, by the health department, we are scattered around and we have to be careful, and I know that. But I also know that you're still here and some of you are in a place of great need. So I'm wondering if you would be willing, and I know it can take courage, but maybe like this woman, you just got to a point where you don't care anymore. You just don't care. I'm wondering if you would be willing, if you're in need, especially if you're in physical need today. You've got something that you've been dealing with. Maybe it's chronic even. It's been for years and doesn't seem to get any better. Or maybe for you it's acute. It's just something that's happened recently. You have physical need. Or maybe there are some other needs in your heart and life that are just big in your minds. When I asked you to bow your heads earlier, that's what popped into your mind. These are the obstacles you face. But if you're here today and you have a need and you've heard something about Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are and say, I'm, I'm going to make a demand upon him. That's it. This is just between you and God, and you say, I have a need. I do. Now, for those of you who aren't standing, my assumption is that you feel fine, you, everything is good in life. That's good. Glad for you. Bless. But you have friends who are standing who aren't who need help. And I know that we're not supposed to get up and touch them. I know that. But you can direct your prayers toward the Lord for them, and you can extend your hand toward them. So if you're around them, not even real far away, just look around, and if you see somebody who's standing, just extend your hand toward them and begin to pray for them that God would give them whatever it is that they need, whether it be physical or financial or relational or even uh, emotional, mental, whatever it might be, would you just extend your hand as I pray for each one? Father, in the name of Christ, we declare that what we have heard, what is it that John said? We have heard with our ears and we have seen with our own eyes the goodness of our God. Father, I have seen it and I have heard it and I have felt it again and again over the years. And for these, my friends, who are standing, whatever their situation, I'm asking that they would catch a, 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 just a, a distant whisper, maybe, of your goodness towards them. And let it get louder and louder in their ears until they realize the goodness of God is present in our midst today. That you are here. The great King over all the earth is present and healing is available. Healing in heart and in mind. Healing in emotions. Healing in body. You are more than able. And so, Father, today, even as Jesus said, you know, first the children eat, and then the rest of us little puppies. Lord, we're not making a demand based upon what we deserve. We're making it based upon what we know about You your goodness, your kindness to us. So let healing flow to each one, Father. For those that have need of physical healing, I pray your healing touch to them in Jesus' holy name. In the strong name 
of Jesus Christ. Let healing flow right now. For backs, for necks, Father. For shoulders and arms, for knees, for hips. Let healing flow right now in the name of Jesus, Father. Let there be a testimony of the healing flow of Jesus that came into human bodies that He who became flesh, who knows what it's like for us, He now speaks into that human flesh and says, be healed in the name of Jesus. For those that are struggling emotionally, let the peace of God come in. That even as Jesus laid asleep in the boat, not because He didn't care, but because He wasn't worried, because He knew the Father had them every bit whole and safe. I pray for the peace of God to come into hearts today. For those that feel turmoil inside. For those that are struggling relationally, Father, I pray for healing in those relationships that You would ask of us that we would walk humbly before our God and before people and that we would become, as it were, peacemakers in relationships. And Lord, I pray that Your great grace would be upon us as we go outside the doors to the Syrophoenicians out there. Whoever they might be, And that we would not, even as I did yesterday, we would not forget the wonderful opportunity we have to demonstrate the goodness of God to all with whom we come in contact. Lord, let grace be our watchword. We have heard of You with the hearing of our ears. And now our eyes behold You. I ask it, Father, in the name of Christ, the risen Son of God. Amen and amen. You may be seated, and the deacons will actually dismiss you uh, in some orderly fashion, I guess. Don't forget to go down and get your kids, and of course, as you're moving around the building, put your mask back on, please. Thank you. God bless you all.